Hello, welcome to Pod Songs, where we interview inspirational people as inspiration for a new song. Today, my guest is Zach Stein, and my musical collaborator is Al Lover. Hello, Al. Hey, Jack. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, mate. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for accepting. Yeah, dude, this is cool. Yeah, I'm super excited for this episode. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's um, me too. I've been thinking about it a lot lately, so I think I'm ready. Yeah, well, I just want to say rather you than me because, you know, I, I used to just interview my, the guests myself. And now I have the guest musicians to come on who are experts yeah. in the field. So because you've picked, I need a dictionary. To, when I feel <laughs> like I need a dictionary when I'm listening to this guy. It's yeah, he's wild, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's cool. But yeah, it's he's uh it's a lot of information to soak up. Yeah, so how, why why him? Um well, I've been a fan of like him and this like group of people that uh, there's this other guy Daniel Schmottenberger, there's another guy Jim Rutt and another podcast called Rebel Wisdom that I kind of discovered all them on which just they're talking a lot about just, you know, what's happening today with like how information is being, you know, just the information landscape, I guess, of mm. online, um, like, you know, the political things, like people finding this, it's like weird, like breakdown of common truth and like confusion mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. existential crisis and you know all this they call it i think it's called like the uh uh what do they call it i can't think of it off the, off the top i'll think of it in a second but it's just kind of like conversations about what is breaking down in society and how the internet and information being used to kind of like perpetuate this like breakdown and mm -hmm. like um you know, especially, you know, in the States, I'm sure everywhere right now too, just the political thing, you know, everybody feels like it's like the, the tensions are ratcheting up and everyone's on edge and, you know, don't suddenly feel like they can trust people. And it's just like, it's just weird, you know, mm. and it seems to be a byproduct of how the internet and social media has kind of ratcheted up, uh, certain narratives people using it you know the power dynamics that influence things and um yeah so just it's a lot and yeah. like i'm 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 with you like when i'm listening i'm like dude what the hell are these dudes talking about let me just because i got to keep listening and then mm -hmm. you know you you start to get like a better understanding of you know the um the concepts so you know i spent a lot of hours listening to these guys talk and you know i'm still still trying to learn but for me personally and this is kind of what i wanted to talk to zach about is you know he's kind of focuses on education mm -hmm. uh he's like philosophy of education and then like a lot recently about propaganda and like information warfare uh -huh. and and as an artist for me you know artists a lot of times fall into the place of being the conduits for propaganda. I feel like, um, because as an artist, you're kind of like the ideas are inspiring or you're kind of like 
you just like, you're wanting to create things, but, and everything's coming in as I, and it's like, oh, wow, this is like cool information that I want to utilize and put into my art and stuff. And then, you know, I think a lot of times just political narratives, power dynamics come in and our artists are, whether they realize it or not, are used to more like promote agendas than actually create art. Mm-hmm. which I think art is supposed to transcend, you know, some type of political agenda or something like that, or, um, you know, an ideological framework or, you know, so, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. just me personally. So, I mean, the great art does that in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I see, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I just wanted to talk to him. It's like, what, as an artist, like, what are, good like rules of thumb to kind of be aware of propaganda and you know regardless of how you feel politically i'm not really concerned with that as much but or ideologically about whatever but it's just like how do you combat against being like used as a tool of like power i guess yeah you know specifically because that that's kind of what i think about that a lot you know okay so that's sort of like the angle for the song then is because he talks about a lot, you know, he covers a lot of areas. Yeah, he definitely does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I got some kind of specific things that I want to ask okay. him. And, um, oh, brilliant. you know, just, yeah, <laughs> just kind of just sit back and enjoy the ride, you know? Yeah. <laughs> when, when I talk to you, I can understand it. You know, you make sense. But he talks in this very, one of them is educated in Harvard. Yeah. Super intellectual. He's like the intellectual's intellectual, though. Like people. For sure. I get the feeling that people go to him to because he's not on twitter or he's not in the he's not kind of in the mainstream or anything and then they get they they take his ideas and use it as in our language yeah 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 i mean yeah it's like i was saying like you know these guys that are kind of involved in this consilience project thing um, yeah what's that so i it's so for how i found out about it is through the student daniel schwantenberger who is you know works with zach stein on the thing um and it's i think it's there it is a website with you know they have articles written it's a collective that are looking to address how the internet social media all these things are being used to kind of manipulate the world basically you know so have you seen the the social dilemma that uh, documentary I haven't, no. Okay, so there's... I know all about it, but I haven't actually Yeah, seen it. yeah. So it's, you know, they're discussing, like, how social media is affecting uh, society at large, uh, how, you know, information warfare is being used, um, you know, within, you know, nation states for political purposes, but then also geopolitically. Um, yeah, just like interesting shit like that (laughs) where it's like so it's gonna be it's heavy episode this side yeah yeah i know it's 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 i don't know i i feel like since i've got gone down this rabbit hole about it Mm. it's just it's definitely uh it can it can bring some nihilism to the table sometimes Mm. when you're just like jesus christ what the hell is going on in this world but it's it's also fascinating you know it's like we're in a weird time like this mm. i mean the 
the exponential growth of technology within like, I don't know, the last like 20 years is just insane. Like, like this, like, mm, yeah. this is crazy. This is shit they're like, we would see in like sci-fi movies in the eighties, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's wild. So, um, and I'm not like a, I'm not like a big tech guy, kind of a Luddite with the shit really, but it's, it, it's just interesting how it's affecting the world. But yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's strange. So, and I like strange shit. So, yeah, no, well, it's funny because we're both musicians, but it, we're like painters you know it's when they're completely different like you're doing you're a psychedelic artist i mean you travel the world doing psychedelic playing psychedelic conferences i mean what a what a job i mean if your career advisor could see you now yeah i know it's a strange yeah. uh strange path that i've uh, been on but it's been cool you know yeah but so you but you take things i mean you're i, I so i'm lyrics i'm mostly about the words so yeah. I, I translate it but you know your, your music is um instrumental so, mm -hmm. but I was reading like about your last LP, Existential Everything, and about, you know, the inspiration behind it. And the, just a quote here, you, cosmic joke come, came from the observing the rising compounded absurdity in recent years and seeing structures of normalcy dissolving. I mean, it's, you said it's my attempt to view these things as part of a higher order process through a metaphysical lens rather than an ideological one. I mean, that's deep, you know, I mean, I'm writing lyrics and I can't, <laughs> I can't write something that well about my music so oh man it's like, i mean you feel like you've gone above lyrics you know well i i try to i what i've wanted to do with the instrumental music recently is like uh instruct people to this thing that's just called like intentional listening you know it's like okay. especially with instrumental music like you know i like the idea of naming a song something and like being like hey like sit here with this concept for three minutes listening to a repetitive beat mm -hmm. and think about what this means or maybe look it up or like do do something to kind of like sit with a concept as opposed to it's kind of like almost lyrics without lyrics you know it's like mm. what how does this affect you what what comes up like what uh what is what is in, what inspires you does it you know what you know with the lyric it's like you know someone sings a really lyric a lyric that like affects you especially with like a, a really good chord change or something and you get this like deep feeling of like it's it hits you in this crazy way yeah and so i'm wondering if there's something that can be relative to that without words being spoken but there's an idea that's just like generating maybe mm. more ideas what is how that affects the person subjectively you know so yeah you know, well, it comes to, it comes to more like painting, doesn't it? Like when you see some paint, you talk about a, a painting that's kind of an abstract thing, and it, and actually it's, there's a whole story behind it, and it's it's a deep got a deep meaning, and yeah, yeah, something like underlie, like something underneath the whatever the piece of art is, mm. you know, like what what's underneath it, like what is for me, because like you know, I name all my songs like after a lot of them are kind of named after like. uh um terms and stuff that i've actually like heard these dudes talk about i'll be like oh, oh, right. that's that sounds sick oh, you know? so like, you're already doing it. yeah let me just kind of like think about like what does that mean to me or like mm. or concepts that i've heard you know you know i'm big into like I, I wouldn't say i'm like super educated in in a lot of ways but i 
do listen, especially now with like podcasts and, yeah, you know, uh, world, YouTube and it's like, I can sit down and like, listen to someone talk about, you know, the history of Greek philosophy for, for half a day, you yeah. know, oh, and wow. it's like, oh, wow. All right. I'm not formally studying these things, but I'm like, I'm interested in mm. engaging with the philosophical framework of things and then applying that to, you know, music and, and shit like that. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Cause like knowledge, knowledge stays in books, you know, you can have a book, but I can't get into it. But when you hear people talking something about great going back to sound, you know, it's a theme we keep coming back to is yeah, it somehow penetrates into our brain. I mean, like I have to hear you, like, I'm really hoping this interview, you're going to ask the questions that I can understand and yeah. translate the answers <laughs> after, after he said it. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, I, you know, I've, I've listened to a fair amount of this dude's podcast, so I kind of have an understanding of somewhat of his, um, you know, his vernacular or whatever, you know, because there's, yeah, there's a lot of uh, terminology. There's a lot of terminology, yeah. That you got to sit with. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm I'm not that guy, you know, like, but I feel like I've spent enough time listening to this dude and like a few other people in this world talk about things that i kind of have a grasp of like you know the understanding <laughs> of the language that they're using a bit enough to maybe like at least decode a little bit because yeah I'll, I'll send i'll send podcasts from this like you know collective of people to people and they'll be like the fuck it's like yeah. i gotta i gotta focus on this dude it's like i'm just trying to listen to comedian talk shit or something on a podcast i don't know yeah into all intellectual podcasts have should have this preface where we have where you have two normal people talking about it yeah but i gotta get it dumbed down yeah dumb it down man yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well we'll see i hope i hope uh yeah i hope it I think it'll go well mm. and what about the song then did you have any ideas about um because not like to do a collaboration you know if i can do yeah. something with you but you, I mean, cool. yeah i mean you don't need me i mean you're doing amazing stuff but i mean could there be lyrics in it or would you want to go instrumental or would you like production um, team to do something or what i don't know I, I feel like i have some ideas that i've that i've kind of like fleshed out not you know not fully into a song but i have some things i was thinking it, it could be cool to have like maybe even like a vocal sample or something to lead yeah. in and then yeah maybe i mean lyrics could be cool i mean some vocal harmonies could be cool too so yeah i'm down to kind of like uh collab yeah that's brilliant cool. oh that's great yeah. that's make there makes it for me because uh yeah it, it takes me out of my my musical bubble as well and makes it like a a gesamte kunstwerk you know like a total project for me as well yeah I, yeah i engage with the subject matter as well and it helps me translate it when i you know write a song about it it digests it down to my level as well so cool cool yeah yeah that sounds great yeah maybe i can uh, kind of put like some framework together and then send you some, so like you know, basically like a sketch of the track, yeah. and see what see what happens. We can kind of go back and forth. Oh, brilliant! Because I was listening to music while I was gardening this morning, in the sun, and uh, yeah, it's really, it's trans. It's um, what's the word? It makes me makes me think of lyrics while I'm doing stuff because it's, oh, it's nice. yeah, it's kind of it's very meditative, it's very repetitive, and it's very but it's got beautiful melodies coming in. And I was just kind of singing along with the bass line. I really there's all these melodies inside there once you once you keep listening to it you know it's uh cool it's a it's awesome. a trip you know yeah 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 I, I i like that idea i mean i I wouldn't say i'm like a very like i 
I can, I understand music when I hear it, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm still like kind of a novice in terms of my ability to create it. So I was like, as I've had a music career, I've learned, you know, I've went from using more samples and stuff like that to actually doing more like composition and stuff now, mm -hmm. but it's still, you know, I like, I like kind of, you know, I'm a huge Krautrock fan and like, I like, you know, I grew up on like post-punk and hip hop and stuff. So like atonal kind of like yeah, yeah. dark stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, as I've, as I've like progressed as a musician, I guess I've, you know, gotten to get a little better at understanding that type of stuff. I like it that when you have that no, bass. No complex chord changes or anything no. like that. <laughs> I like, I like that dark bass you have and then the color. The color on top you know it's really uh, yeah 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 i feel like i've kind of like gotten finally gotten to a point where we're like oh i think i got have like a, a sound you know what i'm saying like yeah, experimenting right. around so yeah well, i'll uh i should be able to send you something here in the, like the next few days or something at least to kind of like get an idea of where to where to go from there yeah i had the sense that you're a music machine uh you don't you don't have to you grope know, around in the dark for inspiration yeah and it, well it's you know it's weird because it's you know how it is it's like sometimes you just like it just like comes all at once and then sometimes it's just like i'm like a dead zone just like yeah. i have no even i don't i can't even force it you know mm -hmm. so well that's why this podcast is guaranteed inspiration i mean after, yeah it's awesome after these after these recordings i'm really up you know i'm really yeah you're ready to do oh, something yeah, oh, yeah. jump right in the studio now sorry <laughs> that's you cool, also, man. You, you had a podcast as well. I saw it. I was listening to a bit of it about psych, about psychedelic music. And yeah, I, I work with this music festival. It's called Levitation. Um, it's out of uh, Austin. And um, yeah, for a while we were we were doing a little. I think we did like ten or fifteen episodes, something like that. But you were uh, just yeah, there just, in Austin, yeah. I just saw. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just there. Played the festival. That was really cool. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great fest, and like obviously they got awesome music taste. So. Yeah, I just kind of like took it as an opportunity. I worked pretty close with them for about like eight or nine years doing like a bunch of promotional mixes and, uh, you know, DJing the festival, playing the festival, helping, you know, get get DJs involved for the live shows and stuff. But uh, yeah, the podcast is just more so like just talking to musicians mm, about, yeah. yeah, just talking shit, you know. Yeah, yeah but, I think uh, you enjoyed it. I could tell you really. Yeah, it was fun, you know, just like have a beer and smoke a joint and like, you know, talk some shit, talk about music, talk about whatever, you know, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> None of this intellectual heavy lifting you want to, you want to get into right now. Yeah, no, I'm, well, I'm here, I'm here to learn, dude, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, that Rebel Wisdom podcast is quite good as well. I listened to his episode on there and. Um... Yeah, man, I, I enjoy, I enjoy them a lot. I think they're, they're talking about some interesting stuff mm. and. Yeah, it's, it's a weird world out there. Well, it is. I mean, before COVID, you know, I was really, you know, I'm just the mainstream guy. But then when I saw how the media was manipulating everything during COVID and that really kind of opened my eyes. It's cra It was crazy. Yeah, that was it's, a crazy time. Though. Everybody went crazy. And the, really, yeah. the world went. But it, I, maybe looking back, it's always been like that. But that kind of like you could see the the workings behind the machine. Yeah. And open them and the, and I, you know, I think about that too. And, you know, when, you know, talking about like propaganda and shit, it's just like, it's almost like, you know, you have this kind of trust. I mean, I've always been like punk or whatever, like, yeah, but the government, uh, you know, whatever. But also at the same time, you're like, you know, 
I live comfortably enough in America where it's like, you don't really have to question too much because, you know, all the, you know, all the basic necessities are mo mostly covered. If, you know, for me as like someone who's just like worked job musician, like I've been able, I've been very lucky to be able to just kind of have a fairly normal life. And yeah, when something like that disrupts the normality and then you see all the manipulation like removed, it's like you're like the trust is just completely like taken away from the institutions. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, man, it's like, how long y'all been doing this for? You know, yeah, like exactly. man, same feeling, you know, man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel like the same, like I have the same mentality now as I did as a punk ass teenager that was just right, like, you right, know, yeah. ass. Yeah, fuck that, man. Like, you can't tell me what to do. You know, like, listen to Rage Against the Machine or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, these guys had a point. Yeah, it's all true. I thought they were just... <laughs> I know, and it's it's weird. It's yeah. it's weird to feel that way. I mean, I'm 41, so it's like, mm -hmm. to feel that way now in my life, it's always been there a bit, but it's, you know, you get into the groove of things and you're, mm -hmm. you're just living your life. You're like, I don't have time to worry about this, dude. I got to, like you know keep a roof over my head and yeah. and then yeah you see something like that happens and i mean yeah and we're all, we're all getting older we're all getting more conservative as we get as we get older and we yeah, want i'm to not believe... trying to buck the system you know no. like it's like and we we want to believe in institutions we we want stability we want you know and that but then to find out things like you know talk about propaganda like the bbc started this um this truth and this trusted news initiative you know and things like that mm -hmm. and, you know things Real control that just uh, sounds like propaganda. I mean, 1984, the you know, of the... it's the thought police, and I know, man. And it's, to find out it's, it's true, true, and yeah, it's, it's shocking. Yeah, it is, it is. And I think, too, there's you know, there is always that balance of like, look, I understand that you know, keeping a civil society together, there's yeah, yeah. It's that's a crazy, that's a crazy thing, you know, but all together. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of have like, uh, you know, a, a, a basic trust to where the economics can work for people, but they don't, yeah. but they kind of do. And like, mm -hmm. you know, but it's, if you, you know, like I live in LA, it's, you know, like you go downtown and you see like the, the poverty and yeah, you hear these nice. politicians talking about how much they care about people. And you're just like, do you? I, I don't know. Like, I hate the cynicism that that I have. But also at the same time, it's like, you know, there's two sides of the same coin. And I understand that it's fucking complex, you know, to maintain a civil society. But also at the same time, it's like, you know, power begets power. And once you, once you, see what that where that goes it's like god yeah people are crazy man i don't know yeah because yeah. california i mean you're supposed to be the cutting edge of everything you're supposed to be you have a yeah. good democratic presence you mean you, if, if they don't get that right there i mean it's it yeah it's it's strange it's strange it's yeah. it's yeah it's it's weird but it is what it is so i, I don't know mm. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't like, you know, it's, it's weird because it's, I try to, I do feel like there is this like paradoxical nature to, 
to being a human being. Like mm -hmm. there's this, there's this kind of interlinked binary thing that just seems weird. It's like, it's like, okay, like I get, I get it. But at the same time, it's also just like, what are you guys doing? You know, like you're, you're pro professing to give a fuck. It's hard to give a fuck at scale. This is another uh, yeah. thing that yeah, like, you know, scale, I think is one of the craziest things that is like affecting the world. It's like how, you know, we're what we evolved to be like in tribes of like 150 people, 200 people. And now we have like a global economy and it's just like, you know, I don't know, like, how do you deal with that? It's fucking crazy. But yeah. I've heard a lot of people say, but you know, going local is the is the solution. And and I live in the I live in the south of Italy here, and we're a lot more locally reliant. And yeah, yeah, we don't not not affected by many of the issues that I hear, I read about on other hear about on other podcasts. And so. oh yeah, me and my my girl were just in Italy for a wedding and we stayed in the Amalfi coast and stayed on this like little farm stay where it's like fourth generation. I'm opposite the Amalfi coast. I'm like Oh really? Yeah, I'm I am i am across oh, on the, the on the east east coast? Yeah. Okay. No, I mean no, no. Uh, uh, still on the same coast but in the in the next opposite side of the uh Oh, okay, okay. Got it. Nice. Oh, yeah, wow. man, it was it was beautiful, dude. I was like, damn, let me like move over here. When did you get down there? Uh, 10 years ago yeah oh nice yeah, yeah. that's got to be good yeah it's great so where would you stayed in a homestead you said uh... yeah it was like a little farm stay they had like you know the, you know because of the terrain there it's like these oh, it's, it's yeah steep, like man steep dude and like you know this dude <laughs> this is like 75 years old still like out there farming his daughter ran the like they had like a little hotel there and like we had dinner every night I mean, it's like we were there for like five nights. It was like 600 bucks for like meals, like a nice place. Like we went hiking up on the, like, uh, the, what's it called? Like Walk trail of the gods. gods. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Donkeys, oh, all the wood on the backs of the donkey. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Just eating figs off, off the trees and everything. Yeah. It was great. That's yeah. a, that's a unique place. I mean, it's nothing like over here is like normal, you know, with horizontal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're vertical. Uh, oh, dude, it's insane. Yeah, and the and the ingenuity of farming on those types of, uh, you know, sure. building the retaining walls and like mm -hmm. doing the step thing. It's like, and it's been like that for what hundreds of years. It's like wow, wow. generations of, of yeah. men digging steps into the ground and yeah. hung, lifting up stones. <laughs> we we would walk. We were walking down. You know, we would walk down to the to the ocean. Mm -hmm. And then walk back up. Yeah, it's good for your legs, though. You really, that shit yeah. was crazy. <laughs> and I was like the most exercise I've ever gotten on a vacation. I'll tell you that much, dude. It was awesome. Yeah, we did the walk of the gods once, and they we got to the end, and they said, "Do you want to take the bus down?" And we said, "No, nah, I think we can walk down." By the end, my my calves were sore for a week. Dude, walking down is even worse. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. It's always, yeah, we did that too. We walked. We were walking down, down for an hour. I mean, we're walking down steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same, same. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Had to get some extra limoncello that day, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that was awesome. That's cool, no, man. No, it's great. You know the area then, because you. Yeah, a little bit, and I've I've toured in in Italy uh, uh, quite a few times. My booking agent actually lives uh, in. Um, 
where the hell is he? He's he's Italian, but he lives in. Uh, oh, I can't think of it right now. Yeah, I'll think of it later. Mm. Well, yeah, he's a, he's Italian. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I've been I've been there quite a bit, but mostly like, yeah, not not too much down south as mm. much. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's no there's no money to pay them. Many people people don't yeah, come yeah. down here because there's not the venues and there's not the yeah, there's not as much of the yeah. Mm. It's it should be divided in if it was divided into two countries, you'd understand a lot more about the difference between because it's such a it's such a strange geographical I mean, because before you know you went to Salerno for example up to Napoli mm-hmm. you couldn't get there you know there was now they've cut a hole through the mountains so there was these huge differences between the villages oh wow interesting yeah, you yeah I've heard get there you know yeah I've heard I've heard that too I've heard there's like some like like the the southern people are just like kind of like fuck you guys up north and the mm-hmm. people up north are like eh fuck you like yeah just a whole really- different. It's like the north, the northeast, and the southeast of like the the U.S. or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, it's definitely like yeah. that. Yeah, just like I guess many just, countries. Yeah, geographical beats, dude. It's always something, right? Well, that's something also Zach Stein talks about. Is this this how you know the Mississippi Delta is one is one geographic area divided into separate man-made? Then the idea of a nation is is a crazy yeah. idea, you know? Yes, yeah. it imposed on people, and maybe that's part of the problem too. You know, if we just well, and I mean, so much too is like based off of geographic aspects, you know, like if you're, if you're coastal, you know, I think about like, you know, rural and like why it seems in America, at least like you have like more rural areas are more conservative, more, uh, you know, metropolitan areas are more liberal. It's like you have a metropolitan area, especially like it's a port city or something. You're going to have an influx of different types of people all around you. So you have to have a politics that like is un- like you can understand how different groups can work together and, you know, all prosper or whatever. If you're in a rural environment where you're completely removed from people that are different from you, you're going to have a, a or you're like more, you know, the religion is like, you know, old time religion is more prevalent or whatever. You got guns because you're hunting all this stuff. It's like, you know, a more conservative politics might make sense, you know? So it's just like, it's all these like varying degrees of elements that get people to where they're at politically and ideologically and stuff. And it's almost fair amount of that is almost like out of your hands and like the material world. And like, mm. well, yeah, so it's like, and that's why, I mean, to me, like I was saying, like this, like balancing, it's like both of these perspectives make sense to me given context, mm. you know, but then when they're, it's like, I don't even know if they, they, they have this combative nature, but I don't know if they need to have that if the correct context is given. Obviously any, you go to any extreme, it gets crazy. But there's value, I think, in, you know, this duality of like, uh, you know, conservative versus liberal or whatever. I think they both have certain, you know, values to them and some bullshit too. So it's like, but I don't know. It's weird. It's just weird to see it so, like, everybody's so combative. Yeah. Are you talking about like the Republican, the the Democrats, or are you talking about? 
Well, it's, it's, it's like, you know, Democrat, Republican in America or whatever, but the, like, for me, like the core values of those are Republican is a more conservative framework and a Democrat is a more like liberal or progressive framework. And those two, and those are represented in Republican and Democrat, but they are like a deeper ideological worldview. Mm. And those worldviews are, seem to be relative to different environments, different histories, and they're, they seem to be like they're used in, like they have to have this like combative energy, but I don't know if that's, if that's real. So I don't know. Hey, Zach. Guys. Hey, Zach. How's it going? How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, gentlemen? Good. 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 Yeah. Nice to meet you too, man. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, Al's yeah, been, doing, Al's really been doing a great job of warming us up here. I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying to get ready for you, Zach. <laughs> I'm trying to get ready for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, this is, this is really cool. Yeah, it is. It is. I was a musician. That's the first thing I ever did. Seriously. Most people don't know that, but. Oh, sick. I, w- I went to college with the intention of just dropping out and being a musician. Obviously something else happened. Yeah. Which well, instrument? Uh, I was a bass player. I was a bass player since eighth grade. And then all the way through eventually doing kind of jazz fusion stuff. I was very inspired by Shakti which is John McLaughlin, where he takes Indian classical music and kind of yeah. is in a Western instrument. So I was doing that. With oh, yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I love that, man. Yeah, I, I got a few of his records, dude. John McLaughlin's the man, dude. He really is. Yeah. yeah. He's new orchestra. And then Shakti, where he's working with world-class Indian uh, classical musicians. Yeah, it's remarkable. I'm already out of my depth. We're, we're talking about music and I've lost the... <laughs> I'm gonna have to, I'm just writing things down to research. Forget lyrics. <laughs> John. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, Miles Davis. Okay, Miles. him I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Miles Davis from like 70, no, from like 67, 68. Oh, oh yeah, man. Is insane. In a silent way, bitches. All of that stuff. Because I was obsessed with that. That's what music. Uh, and then I found Ken Wilber. And it was like, everything. oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's like jazz philosophy right there. Well, I, you know, and I started thinking about philosophical problems when I was practicing and performing, basically. Um, so I was like, oh, there's something. My mind is wanting to do something else. So I started to do that. Uh, and then one thing led to another. That's, that's really cool, man. I, that's, that's funny. We were actually just talking about that. And I kind of have a similar relationship with music, like making music, it's like the phil- the, ph- the philosophy is like interwoven with the music. I don't know, to me. So but this is how true music is. I mean, there's lots of ways to go with that. Indian, yeah. classical, Indian classical music in particular is a sacred, it's religious thing. You know, yeah, the yeah. To the extent that each, the interval between different notes represent different things spiritually. So when you're making mm. it, improvisational to hit the octave yeah signaling basically transcendence in system uh, which is fascinating and then there's all the commentaries by people like Nietzsche and others who just point at the how close music and philosophy are yeah what was it 
is it even like the Western scale based off like the mathematics of like Pythagoras or something like that? Like the the, uh, actually, the tunings or something? Is that? Uh, so this is another thing that I actually kind of really got into, which is that the the actual physics of sound, as discovered first by people like Pythagoras, which where you have different lengths of string, yeah, and then the harmony emerges. Uh, and so that basic physics of sound is what you would find in like a sitar, for example, in mm -hmm. most non-Western, pre-modern musical instruments. The well-tempered Western scale actually moved us out of that. Oh, okay. Different universe. Where you could say, yeah, yeah. You could play in multiple keys on one instrument. Uh, and therefore, one of the things I was doing on my bass because it was fretless was hitting microtones, which are... Oh, yeah. Illegal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the well-tempered scale, they don't exist on the piano, for example. Yeah. Uh, but they exist between the notes on a normal fretted instrument. I can play them. So John McLaughlin altered his guitar in order to be able to hit the microtones necessary to actually play in. And then there were some people messing around with just, called just intonation, which is you take a piano or you take a guitar and you all do the tuning, uh, ostensibly making it like a sitar, which you can only play in one key. You can oh, only one key. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's a group called the forever bad blues band, which is a, it's a group that all the instruments are just intonation. And when you do that, and I've toyed with that, my own bass, you, when you hit harmonics and other things, there's a resonance with the actual physical architecture of the place you're in which is different than you'd find in certain forms of Western classical music. So it's wow. First, That's it, sick. It is sick. Uh, so the music yeah. is, is still accessible, um, but not in a lot of Western musical. Yeah. And then you get into pop, again, you get into the, uh, commercialized engineering of addictive sounds. Yeah. And then it, the, I think it's the, the, the yeah, the, uh, the, the, the Swedish model. Hey, hey, yep. Hey, research it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to get on that. So. Well, I've, you know, I've, I've really been into recently, um, a lot of, um, basically late seventies, early eighties disco craze from like, you know, like Bollywood disco or, um, you know, from the middle East, it's like, you know, disco went out kind of like the blues did you know, and kind of like went around the world and kind of got those, those elements of like different cultures into, but the disco framework was there, you know, and, and it's, James, it's Brown. James Brown also like Fela Kuti, right? Like oh these, yeah. These confluences of the, of the West. Yeah. Anyway, fascinating world music. It's the best, man. I don't know. It's just like, it's just, it's a cool like juxtaposition of you know, that Western, you know, from the blues to soul to disco or whatever with the, you know, whatever the certain tinge of the region of the world it's from, you know, it's like, and now they have all these people doing all these, like going to these places and finding these records and reissuing them. So it's like, they're all on Spotify. So you could just like hear this amazing music you would have never heard. Like Zamrock. I don't know if you've heard of like uh, the Zambian psychedelic rock. It's Zambian. like this whole, dude, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
it's there's so much out there. It's so crazy. So I love all that stuff. Me too. Me too. Well, that's awesome to hear you. You were a musician as well, man. I I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, it's a big part of my life. I mean, it kind of still is, but not. Yeah, so to do that as I did, but for about a decade, it was kind of the main thing that I'm doing. That's what's up. Hell yeah. Well, cool, man. Hey. We're off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of jumped in. I'm not sure if it was. Could just keep talking about music. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, good. Then we'll talk about reggae. We're talking about reggae. And rock oh, dude. Rocksteady rock steady is my favorite type of music. I mean, Trojan Records is like, you can't mess with that, dude. Yeah. I love, I love reggae. Yeah, me too. It's other world music. And it happens to be coupled to a new religion, which is kind of interesting too. Yeah. Makes it like, yeah, with the Rastafari. With Rastafarianism coupled to this pop music thing. And it is an emerging religious tradition, which is stereotyped badly. But if you take it seriously, it's actually kind of fascinating, especially given its world, rapid worldwide spread on the back. Oh, of- yeah back of pop music so you have like a pop music craze spreading religion uh you have christian rock in the united states which does something yeah. similar but christianity already existed and rastafarianism is a little bit like it's basically a christian offshoot. yeah it's a christian sect yeah kind of it is, but it's novel uh so that's kind of interesting this notion of the sacred and music and can you work with forms of popular music to infuse new religiosity I don't know, that's the biggest show the answer yes. There's many. And now we make a song about your ideas. This is like life imitating art, imitating life. <laughs> yeah, we've gone very, we've gone out of the postmodern into something. <laughs> Paper perspective, right? Yeah. Uh, no, that's yeah, cool, man. Possibility. This is, of course, why pop music was colonized, uh, both by finance and by uh, propagandists, because it's it's one of those places where uh, you can tinker with the basic tooling of our relationship to the sacred and to each other. Yeah. Working at the level of music. So reclaiming the powers of music is part of getting out of the civilization of class. Well, this, and this is, this is kind of exactly what I was curious to talk to you about. Cause, um, um, you know, as, as an artist, as someone who, you know, like, I have this thing where I'm kind of like what you were talking about, like pushing like kind of a philosophy and religiosity or metaphysics or whatever through my music. It's like I make instrumental music. It's like trip hop. But, you know, I'm influenced by a lot of like what you and Daniel Schmottenberger and all these guys are doing and like this kind of looking at the world through that lens and trying to see how I can translate that through music, you know, Maybe being a propagandist for y'all are your ideas, but you know, like, no, 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 it's a joke. Art and propaganda. That's a very, like, what's the difference between art? Well, and this is, this is kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. Cause it's like, I feel like as an artist and, you know, I see this so much, it's like unknowingly being tools for propaganda just because you know, the nature of the artist is someone that's open and just like wants ideas to flow and like, you know, what, what's inspiring in the moment, like, oh, that's like kind of, and then, you know, you see art being used 
as propaganda without people even knowing that they're being like the tools for it. It's see, I don't know. I have true. True. This is in one of the consilience papers that I participated in writing. We talked about vertical versus horizontal. Yeah. 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 Whereas vertical propaganda is what we classically think of as propaganda. It's kind of top down from an intelligence agency through something like the New York Times that just hits you in the face again and again and again, like by design. Yeah. Uh, horizontal propaganda is when, and this is more common now, especially in digital computational propaganda, it's the creation of contagious memes that you end up repropagating because it's useful basically for getting attention on social media. Uh, yeah. Unless you have a platform and it's used for uh, not get canceled. So you start to have to basically propagate certain memes and then you're doing horizontal propaganda, which is peer to peer self propagandizing. And that's the best way to reinforce your own beliefs is to yeah. basically think that you're educating people about them. Uh, so the soft terminating cliche is the classic example of that. Um, but even during, if you rewind, uh, our intelligence agencies were already definitely in the sixties and seventies doing horizontal propaganda. There's a couple of very good books that are <clears throat> clear that a lot of the protests in the sixties, uh, including drugs and Timothy Leary and yeah. Jackson Pollock and Jackson Pollock and other, other things were, were, uh, not knowingly they were unwitting agents, but they were supported by, uh, intelligence because the goal was actually to very clearly contrast United States culture with the uh, Soviet Union. Yeah. Like to show how right. free and, and open the society was like, Hey, look at, look at what these people are doing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and like, was it like the blue jeans and rock and roll, uh, like into Russia or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. That's what that's that. so, Yeah. Jimi Hendrix playing Star Spangled Banner uh, at Woodstock. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, Jimmy Hendrix was definitely a free spirit and it was inspiring. It was truly inspiring. Uh, and it was, it was a devastating propaganda blow to the, to the Russians. And, and, and we leak that into the Soviet Union. We leak the Beatles into the Soviet Union in order to undermine their, their, uh, their propaganda as great as art, <laughs> which was of a different quality, you know, quite, yeah. quite striking. Like they did high culture. They did ballet and symphonies and Tarkovsky and, and other things that were juxtaposed to what we were doing, but couldn't really, uh, it was really the material abundance that allowed for something like that stuff, the highways, yeah. that, the highways that allowed to really get there, the electricity that was readily available and other things. That's kind of supermarkets also, uh, did in the Soviet Union. So it was like a long digression, but it was off of that point of horizontal propaganda. And so now yeah. on, on social media, it's, it's hard actually to use the language in a way where the language hasn't already been loaded as a weapon. Uh, and so, and that's what it means to do horizontal propaganda. Propaganda always involves the othering and it always involves in-group, out-group, moral superiority, mm -hmm. often scapegoat dynamics on enemies. Uh, so to be doing horizontal propaganda, uh, is to be kind of like made an unwitting, an unwitting agent in an information. 
You know, I when and so I've I've listened to quite a lot of your podcasts and I was reading through the consilience papers, like kind of getting ready for this. I haven't read all of them, but um, you know what it made me think of thinking of the horizontal propaganda. So I grew up late nineties, early two thousand, skateboarding, hip hop, punk rock, whatever. And Shepard Ferry, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh he did the Obey Giant posters. They're like yep. They're like Soviet style art. Yeah, you know, I, I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was very strange for me to like come up and like see him using these uh, these images of like Soviet propaganda as almost like a subversive way, like in this punk rock way, but then eventually get to the point where, you know, he's actually making, you know, posters for political parties and stuff like that. Which I was just like, wow, that's kind of like strangely ironic. It's well, almost like subversive yeah. reverted back to like, uh, yeah. Exactly. It was, well, it's, it's important to get like uh, back to like the hyper perspectival moment, which is that uh, we put Che Guevara on t-shirts that we sell at the Yeah. Uh, and so we're aware of propaganda and actually use it as ironically uh anti-propagandistically and so this is important to get it's that like we have become aware and less manipulated by the kinds of propaganda that were used in the 50s 60s and 70s and so now yeah. we're looking at that stuff kind of making fun of it and thinking that we're not being propagandized there. but then yeah they're they got a whole other method now they got a whole like, other method and so the whole the whole thing with propaganda is if you recognize it as propaganda that it's kind of not effective propaganda. Yeah. It's always what was so kind of like distinct. And this is reflected on by people who research this stuff. In, in the Soviet Union, it was propaganda. It was clear it was propaganda. And everybody was kind of cynical. And mostly it was the threat of violence that kept people in line. There weren't some ideologues. The uh, problem in the United States was that um, they were blending propaganda into other things that became unclear that you were dealing with. And then you're really being propagandized and so like the new york times is a great example yeah uh, it's just so much documentation of how long it has been used as a vehicle for domestic propaganda as a and as a signaling vehicle foreign powers that this is what the united states so it's a it's well documented but many many people approach it as if it is not propaganda because propaganda looks like that propaganda looks like what the russian yeah or, yeah the political party we disagree with does um what we do here this is education um, yeah that's you know that's wild like i was just watching something and it was it was a vice news thing and they were talking about propaganda yeah. and but while they were talking about propaganda you could see like the graphic designs that they were using was obviously signaling to like it was propaganda it was it was so weird because they were discussing yeah, so, it, but then the subliminal imagery was pointing to the perspective or narrative that they're trying to like, you know, shit on or whatever. And it was just like, yeah, that's wild. And, 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 so, and it's because they're good at video production. Yeah. Right. Like the, the main thing I was making where the blending of propaganda into other things is mostly the blending of propaganda into advertising. Yeah. Didn't have to worry about stuff being there's one yeah. big, there's one big advertisement and it's for 
socialism. Yeah. For the United States, all the weapons, like literally scientifically researched weapons of psychological manipulation wedded to this massively exploding advertisement industry, um, which made it so that we became very used to being exposed to manipulative communication through advertising and then became really good at it ourselves. Just yeah. The younger you are, the more habituated you are in digital environments, the more you have already onboarded many of the tools of psychological warfare in your speech and mimetic output. So advice, they're not probably trying to make propaganda. They think they're making educational videos possible. If I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. The, the tools they have are actually the tools that propagandists gave them to capture people's attention, to make an impression or an idea stick without ever actually saying it explicitly. Yeah. Uh, to overwhelm with the speed of information presentation uh, and to leave things unsaid. So there's a bunch of things that, that are just part and parcel of like being good at video editing or, yeah. or movie production, which are the seeping of advertising manipulative communication strategies into what should be educational or artistic production, basically. Uh, interesting. So, yep. oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, and that's, it's a, it's a problem. Like it's a, it's the peak advertising psychological function. Yeah. It's like everyone is like on TikTok editing things in a certain way to be more effective with the technology that is a byproduct of the, the influences of advertising techniques to oh, kind of to push forward certain narratives or whatever. Yeah, well, and TikTok's a particularly bad. Case. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah I've heard you guys like, talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is itself uh, kind of obviously a very sophisticated psychological weapon delivered to us by the Chinese Communist Party. I know. I'd, I've it seen the irony that they're importing it back to us, they're sending it back well, i mean it, it sounds like a conspiracy theory but it's it's very clear of him um so on tiktok it is adjusting to advertising but it's also adjusting to the form that tiktok itself provides and uh so there's a whole bunch to that one it's the phenotype of social media yeah because it's addictiveness and it's destructiveness uh and you don't even need to get into like mimetic and philosophical things it's even at the level of sensory stimulation yeah just at the rapidity of the cutting and the amount of informational bits per minute long video and the amount of minute long videos that are watched in a session uh, you're looking at a very i think that's very disruptive to just the attentional system full stop <laughs> and that's the main thing you want to do if you want to brainwash i want to brainwash some main to do is fundamentally dysregulate their attentional system. So, so, so there's a longer conversation about that. So, and most of the social media platforms do that. They, they create a thing where you're moving more rapid. Yeah. The, the infinite scroll kind of exactly like that. The infinite scroll is like a dream, like almost a hypnagogic state, which yeah. is a vulnerable and suggestive state, which results from having your attentional system dysregulated. So at a very basic level, the thing is uh, replicating the conditions that enable undue influence. Yeah. Cillian's papers, which 
is a technical legal term that basically says like, hey, you're, you were put in a position where you can't really be held responsible for what you think and do. Like you've been so uh, indoctrinated, for example, into a cult or so uh, traumatized by your pimp or whatever that you're actually acting and thinking in ways that we can't really hold you responsible for. We have to kind of like deprogram you and then get you to realize that you've been under undue influence. Someone else's ideas have been running your show. Uh, and uh, so you can create environments where you do that. And this is some research extensive. And if you look at the research on those environments, like uh, during the Korean War, the, the re-education camps that the communists set, uh, that's a great example. Other situations uh, uh, of kidnapping and duress. So the world structurally, here's what you do. Like a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing? or Stockholm syndrome is a great example. Patty Hearst is is the is the classic example. Patty yeah, Hearst, yeah. The young daughter of a very wealthy I think, newspaper baron gets kidnapped by radical leftists who kind of lock her in a closet and don't feed her, you know, et cetera. Imagine. Uh, oh. uh, but she emerges having fallen in love with one of them and deeply committed to their belief system, and then starts rocking banks with them and just going full out under their ideology. Why? Eventually, gets arrested put in jail for a long time. Eventually in the 90s, Clinton pardons her under this argument of undue influence that basically like, uh, you know, you were, you had no choice but to, if you wanted to survive, adapt to your environment in that way. So it's like a, like a cult kind of dynamic kind of thing. Yeah, this is where you see it. Uh, this is where you see it quite a lot. Uh, and that's some places it's been researched. But again, the, the first person to do it was uh, Robert J. Lifton who's a remarkable psychologist who he studied this phenomenon in the Korean re-education camps. Okay. Study of totalitarian indoctrination techniques. He also interviewed survivors of Hiroshima. Which is Whoa. Full stop on that sentence. You survived Hiroshima. That's, yeah, it's wild. Uh, it's completely wild. He's a remarkable uh, psychologist. Um, so that's where he did a lot of this work uh, and interviewed soldiers who came home after having been brainwashed. And uh, so it is possible. And many of the prior propagandists who were working with leaflets and the radio and mm -hmm. the television, <laughs> they couldn't actually put you in a position with those media to be under condition or you know, do influence. So is that effective, but now that you have so, the social media, it's the, the way that the programs are made, they're, they're extremely effective in that tactic. Exactly. There was only so much TV you could watch. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Like I, I, so, you know, big fan of like all you guys, like Concilius projects oriented people, um, you know, watch the social dilemma, um, like try to get away from Instagram, which is like the main one kind of away from Instagram. But now I find myself scrolling on YouTube. Cause it's like, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff through YouTube, but I'll just scroll through the yep. little pictures on that. And it's a user interface. And I'm just sitting there like annoyed at myself, like, dude, go to bed, go to bed. <laughs> and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, dude, it's so crazy. So YouTube's a bad one. YouTube's a bad one. I don't know. Because it can go anywhere on you. 
uh, and the algorithm is pretty sophisticated in terms of knowing the kind of stuff. And then it induces the infinite scroll by the way it's designed. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing we've been incentivized. We've been incentivizing a certain kind of uh, digital sphere. And we've incentivized attention capture, advertisement-based ad, you know, you know, revenues. Mm-hmm. So you could imagine YouTube actually running on an algorithm that was attempting to educate. Right now, it's a t- it's literally trying to addict you to YouTube. Oh yeah, it stopped me like, for sure. That's what the viewer they have yeah. to do. They have to do it legally to return maximum profits to share. Yeah. Uh, so unless they change the way they make money, and, and so, but here's the deeper problem: is that if you're running on an ad-based model to make money, your value proposition to the people who actually give is that you can manipulate people's behavior. Like ultimately, that's what advertisement is. Yeah. Temp not to get you to think something. That is a means to the end of getting to do so. Yes, YouTube is trying to dig you to it, but it is also, and other social media, I think in some ways more so, they often link to YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's a massively large scale, customizable behavior manipulation technology. That's what it is. It masquerades as something that connects you to your friends or shows you information, uh, but it is designed to be, and the value proposition it makes to the people who give it money and fund it and to invest it in, hope that it will continue to make money, is that it has the ability to get people to do what you want. Okay. So, so like long-term, it's to get you into a pattern of behavior of addiction to it to then down the line, just kind of consolidate control on the population. Well, and but it's not consolidating control because it's actually allowing everyone a limited amount of access to the brainwashing machine. Like you pay Mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time to have access to the brainwashing machine. It used to be that there's mostly vertical propaganda. Yeah. So this is the horizontal, like you're, like you're talking about. This is about. a much more complex thing. Okay. And that's not happening in China. This is like you know, 3D propaganda. Yeah, they're not. Well, you are being simultaneously manipulated by multiple very persuasive campaigns of behavior modification. Some of them are political. Many of them are commercial. Uh, and uh, most of them come to us in ways that we're not exactly aware. Some commercials are obvious but repeated exposure to the kind of subtle micro-targeted things that occur across multiple websites as you're trapped between websites and you're triangulated uh, in exposure to certain things uh, under, as we already discussed, under the quasi-hypnagogic state of having been on it for 45 minutes or a thousand different distinct information bits, uh, then you're in a suggestible state. so that when that advertisement you've seen for the 30th time, all of a sudden now it's, it's in there. <laughs> and so. Cause it's the, it's the targeted ads. And then they're, from what I understand, like they're kind of getting, you know, by the, they're taking the data that you're giving them by what you're watching, they're targeting ads. And then within that cycle, eventually it hits and you're going to be like, you're going to press buy they're, or whatever. They're building a psychometric profile. 
Yeah. Build a psychometric profile of you based on all of your behavior. Like as much of it as they can get. And yeah, any way they can track it. Exactly. So, you know, uh, if you have Gmail, all of your emails are read. And YouTube's also. So mm -hmm. the ad you get in front of a YouTube video could be related to something that they've seen. In your emails, they also know websites you've gone to. Depending on the ad company and the nature of the relationship, they may know your credit card purchases and your actual physical location based on spatial tag, yeah. your phone. Um, and then uh, this question of how many open mics are there yeah. around your house. Some people put them there on purpose. <laughs> Alexa. Exactly. And so the, so the try kind of like ambition of a totalized surveillance based human manipulation architecture, uh, is explicitly the ambition of, let's say someone like Alex Pittman, who wrote the book Social Physics, who runs the MIT Media Lab and many of his doctoral students went on to be very influential in uh, these companies that we're discussing. Yeah, I've never heard of who's this person. Uh, Alex Pentland, he wrote a book called Social Physics. Uh -huh. Okay. This is some work I'm doing with Mark Gaffney and Ken Wilber at the Center for Philosophy and Religion, looking at the structure of the emerging techno field. All right. And uh, the utopian, the utopianism of just that structure I described of a kind of omniscient, kind of like total behavior modification system. Which is interestingly what B.F. Skinner thought a utopia should look like in his book, Walden, to B.F. Skinner being the founder of behaviorism, very, very famous important psychologist and very, you should take Skinner seriously. Yeah. What do you think about then Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, which is happening right now? Agree record. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, a lot to say almost too much to say because this question <laughs> most most people are concerned from the perspective how will impact domestic politics in the united states like when you ask this question most people like oh will he will he rebut trump is mm -hmm. usually the question but it's a very mild and short-sighted like uh elon is consulted more power at a planetary scale than any human in history um, and so that's the thing that and that he's purchasing most prominent and well-populated digital digital so kind of social media digital communication platforms uh, he's that's where most people get their news too it's like it's where the news gets their news you see all these articles yeah. yes, no, the, journalists are, on... the journalists are yeah the journalists are addicted to twitter uh, uh, and he's buying it for the network effect that it has him like it's this big power play, but you have to think about it in relation to the suite of other technologies that are is sitting on top of. So it's a much longer. But does he want to do this one app like China does, where it's, or is that just another? I believe that's a good way to think about what you what would be possible. That he, um, yeah, creates an alternative planetary scale computational stack that is neither the Western nor the Chinese. 
and that he allows currency exchange, that he has a biometrically verified one ID that gets you into that part of his planetary computational stack. And of course, links into your domestic robotics and self-driving transportation infrastructure. So he, I mean, it's, it's amazing, actually. It is wild. But did you see that coming or was that because we saw Google and we were all looking here, but this, is this something new then? Is, is what he's, I mean, I don't, I don't know. And I'm not an expert. And again, take this up in a grain of salt, but this is what I'm seeing. You just have to look at what he's doing. He seems to be putting all the parts together. Putting all the kind of, together. And yeah. He, there's some thinking Depending behind on that. And, uh, in instability in the United States political scene gets uh, to the extent that you see significant infrastructure decay in the United States, you'll see Musk industries stepping in to actually begin to do things that the United States government should be able to do or local governments should be able to do. Yeah, that they seem to neglect to do, like well, in terms is- of reallocating tax dollars to like, you know, structural or infrastructure that just, yeah. well, we're in a, and this is the, the broader context. This is a, this is a, we're in civilizational decay. We're in the baby. Yeah. We're deep into a process of an actual civilizational collapse slash transition. I think they do it. Part of it deliberately. They run some, run an area down so that their corporate interests can come in. In, this is a known strategy, but there's also just uh, uh, institutional decay. In yeah. The legacy problem-solving institutions. Uh, and some of that's generational. Um, and some of it is also that there is just a higher order class of problems that needs to be solved, which the existing institutions aren't able to do. And so they keep running old problem-solving procedures on a new class of problems that were we're done for and so the you know the interesting thing about musk uh, is that he's managing to self he's managing to have to build institutions yeah very complex well-functioning large scale like military sized installations and bureaucracies uh, that seem to be more efficient our legacy nasa for example yeah what's he it's it seems to me like I feel like there's like inevitable problem with scale. Like when you scale to a certain degree, you start to get like diminishing returns in like other areas where it's just like, you know, like maybe, I don't know, the focus of like America's growth as a global power was inevitably linked to them neglecting to focus back into, you know, things like infrastructure and education and all these things that that kind of led into a societal decay or I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's just an idea. I don't, I don't have any uh, facts to back that. Well, no, I mean, it's that the height, the height of American civilization, we were investing a lot in our own internal structure. That that's, I think of it like climaxing around 19 to 1972 and 1978 sometimes. Yeah. Cresting. <laughs> right. And then things started getting weird and, uh, Tax codes changed, right? In 1972, we took the dollar as gold. We started mm-hmm. to incorporate. Yeah. To trend debt in a much more profound way. Yeah. Um, and a whole bunch of other things occurred in 
the realms of uh, financialization of the basic institutions and just-in-time delivery global supply chains. And so, yeah, there was a shift, I guess, <laughs> where many of the most profitable quote, American companies were no longer located in America. Uh, so, yeah, so it's hard. So, yeah. it's, so the decline of the kind of American, uh, the American empire, and yeah. we call the Pax Americana, which would actually be the post-war global order, uh, which included the UN and the World Bank and other things, but largely was based on a certain kind of hegemony, uh, that there was a resolution of certain very dangerous geopolitical tensions for some time. Yeah. Mutually assured destruction. The overwhelming military dominance of states and its economic dominance and a few other things made it so we had a kind of a bipolar and unipolar. This is over. This has been over. Yeah. For a couple of decades. So that we're entering a very radically multipolar geopolitical situation. And the very thing was the very institution that had stabilized the prior order are now in a situation where they're actually destabilized. So this question of what a, uh, what a new uh, protocol for planetary coordination and cooperation looks like. This is some of the core of the work of the Consulting Project. Yeah. It would call the, you know, Schmachtenberger sometimes talks about the third attractor. And this is that, yeah. Outside of like an autocratic, a kind of techno autocracy, or techno feudalism, which are both yeah, some yeah. it just becomes chaos and the other becomes uh, to an overordered, <laughs> fragile, uh, inevitably self terminating lock in. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's some third way that the digital could usher in uh, an urgent planetary order there. And uh, Right now, it is the, that conversation is beginning. Yeah. Unfortunately, like this would be a great time to have had a lot of this conversation <laughs> and to be uh, able to do this type of international like, cross sectoral transdisciplinary cooperation that is needed to address the crisis. But we're just now essentially waking up to the crisis and realizing that the institutions that had resolved, that had brought some semblance that had avoided self-destruction. <laughs> like, think about it. Since the 50s, and this is back to Robert J. Lifton, who interviewed the survivors of Hiroshima, his main point was that uh, the end of the world just got real. Like, so understand that the atomic bomb, they no one knew that it existed. Yeah. Like, it, like we uh, we all know it exists, but they were a secret Manhattan Project. Yeah, it was totally secret. secret. Uh, so when it dropped in Tokyo, I mean, excuse me, Saki, Hiroshima, uh, the people who experienced it had no idea what was occurring. Many of them thought that it was a religious, that it was truly subscribed. Yeah. Um, and so there was a time after that, and we realized the atomic it was, and this was the whole point of it. But it was about uh, the confrontation for the first time of humanity with its self-induced extinction. Like 
through uncontrollable technical violence, as opposed to the righteously ordered and all things orchestrated by God, which is an apocalypse. Yeah. Which is easier to make sense of psychologically because it, because it involves your own symbolic immortality. As yeah. Lip talked about a lot was the way that especially these, these existential technologies, which at first it was just the, the bomb, but now they're actually a huge class of existential technologies and we're making more of it. Now there's many ways for there to be a self-induced species extinction. And yet we've become more numb to that as a possibility, which is what Lifton predicted. He was basically like, we will not be able to hold as a culture, this tension for very long, uh, we can't anesthetize ourselves psychologically. Hollywood helps. We would pull ourselves back. Uh, yeah. And then divert it. And then he thought that that would result in this, uh, psychological dysfunction because there'd always be that it's like a, you know, there's always this system story communication. It's like, there's this huge elephant in the room, uh, that no one wants to talk. And so, um, the meta crisis, the framing of crisis is way, is a way to, to essentially to try to in that conversation again, because we can't enter maturity as a species or even imagine anything about having a future civilization. Uh, if we can't move through this, what we sometimes call a second shock of existence, this is a term. I think Gaffney coined, uh, which is basically the first shock of existence. And this was studied by many anthropologists, Ernest Becker, the most important part, the denial of death. It's an amazing book. Wilbur also looked at it in his uh, project in Up for Eden. But there's a time, like, animals don't think about their own death. Yeah. Stars, you know, they don't think about this. They don't really fear their death. They fear pain, but they don't ruminate on any of their life in the face of death. Yeah. At a certain point, however long ago in the history of humanity and the evolution of biology, uh, you had the first kind of self-aware sapient being that began to think of its own death. And we get very, very, very deep in the archaeological records. Uh, burials, sacred, ornamented burials. Uh, and so the basic argument is that that's when religion started yes. with the sapiens, uh, that enabled the self praise of death and then the giving the meaning to death to perceive what's related to all life and, and therefore uh, creating a religion. So that's the first shock of existence, which is the awareness of individual death. I got a, I got a question real quick and I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm wondering if like our more secularized culture is like getting us away from that relationship that's almost like making us forget and pushing this oh we gotta create this new fucking biotechnology or whatever it's just like removing us further from it to where we're, we don't have that relationship anymore well and this is where you have to see that at its extremes uh biotechnologists and transhumanists are yeah are religious they are trying to solve the first shock of existence, which is huge. Like, and there's a whole field uh, called terror management theory, I think, 
And uh, this is about basically the thinking of almost all psychological functioning as being somehow related to defense against the anxiety of death. Terror. So that's what most religions were attempting to address through various means. Death is the doorway to wisdom. Now, alphabet slash is trying to uh, fix death, cure death. Yeah. Well, it's so a weird one. It's a weird, yeah, it's a weird one. Fundamentally religious. It's not medical. It's fundamentally religious. Yeah. That's the, first, yeah. that's the first shock of existence. Awareness of individual death. And then we drain the ball. Uh, and then we get the second shock of existence, which is the awareness of the death of all. Which we used to factor as apocalypse, but again, that's not the death of all humanity. That's God coming down and sort of right the end of all existence. The end, the end of humanity is that we drop enough atomic bombs that the, the what we know about the human species is did it by some dude fell asleep and his head hit the button and the thing launched, and then they launched and it was it was over, meaningless, uncontrolled, and all. Uh, that's the second shot of existence. Well, um, and so this portends a new planetary religion, essentially. Yeah. And we don't mature as a planetary species able to destroy itself or not, able to destroy all life on Earth or shepherd it. <laughs> uh, that requires some new some new type of planetary superstructure, new type of planetary world, world philosophy. And uh, so that's what we're grappling with. So, as for, so for as long as we repress the second shower, then we don't have to have that. And we can have a void where the future philosophy needs to be to give us self-control, direction. But if we let it in, which is what's necessary, which enough catastrophic events force us. Then we'll let in the second shock and then there'll be a new culture. What that mood will be like, I'm not sure. Yeah. But it will be uh, ethos larger uh, and more profound than any religion. Now, likely mediated through digital technology and uh, AI. Well, thank God Musk is here to shepherd us through it. The concern is that the concern is that he understands himself. Right? This is the concern. Uh, yeah, that's. I, I thought about that too. Yeah, this model of hyper agents that there's hyper agents institutions and egregores, right? That there are there are several large games of power afoot, um, and there are individuals now, and Elon's just. I mean, Seal, too, I feel like is in, was like, Peter Deal is, I don't know, you know, yeah, I don't know, but it just, it seems like there's a lot of power and a lot of influence. Part of, multi, part of the multipolar kind of planetary track there is, uh, you know, Musk and the Google guys and even the Amazon guy to some extent, not to mention some of these companies in Europe and other places, these have as much power as nation states. Yeah. Like, uh, so to think about like when the British East India company and the Dutch, uh, began what we know of as capitalism, uh, 
they had the largest armies and most powerful printing press and old bureaucracies on the planet and just like, flew by the feudal empire. Just yeah. Like, what just decimated it. Yeah. And it didn't even, it couldn't even recognize what it was. It was happening. So, and that's a little bit how some of the emerging techno feudalists. But it's even more exponentially like. Yeah. They're out competing the government. So, like, so this is the issue with the TikTok and the thing. It's like, um, the government can't regulate something that's. Yeah. Right. Which is to say, uh, Someone asked Tristan Harris at a congressional hearing. Oh, you know, someone asked Zuckerberg at a congressional hearing. How do you make money? So basically, like, we had a senator completely unaware. Not even understanding how it works. Not even able to do the simple homework of reading, like, a two-page memo before he sits in front of one of the most powerful tech guys uh, in the world. And then doesn't understand the basic reason and design of the entire technology that's under discussion. And Zuckerberg basically said, we sell advertisements. That's true. Yeah. Which is uh, euphemism. They do sell that, but that's the money fundamentally. The way they make money is by convincing the people they sell ads to that they have a very powerful behavioral control technology. Uh, so, so that's... So that's the, the, one of these issues is that we're in a situation of exponential technology, exponentially empowering certain classes of hyper agents resulting it's very complex or trip dynamic and planetary scale. That's like the underpinnings of what we call the meta crisis of the kind of rapid technological transformation of uh, superstructure, which is like policy and social structure. Uh, Excuse me, social structure, which is guards, policy, and superstructure, which is technology. And, and then we're back to the property. Is it on a big irony? He changed the name of his company to Meta. Is that in it? I mean, uh, it's unfortunate for philosophers. Um, I know. I was bummed on that too. I was like, man, yeah, that's just a nice shit. That's unfortunate for philosophers. Um, but we'll see where that all goes. I mean, my understanding is that the European Union is outlying micro target uh, business. And oh, really? Yeah, I mean, this was my understanding a week ago that this was going to run through, which would, which would potentially be hugely problematic for financial viability going forward. Because um, it would be it, its ability to run its business in Europe. Uh, and then that would set precedence for other uh, states to uh, those practices, which I think should be done. And then you'd be then then he would be forced to do something else, like for example, charge everybody a couple of bucks. Yeah. Uh, and then a subscription model uh, allows for a completely different incentivization system for algorithm development. Because then you actually people are paying you money. You know, it's just that they're not there because you addicted them and forced them to be there and they wish they were somewhere else. But they're yeah. actually expecting something. Yeah, what's the the thing? It's like if it's the service is free, then you're the uh you're the you know, product. Yeah. Yeah. I pay for the YouTube ads to be pay for YouTube premium. And it's much more enjoyable without all those ads. Totally. But they're still feeding you a sequence of videos. Yeah. Right. And note that it's, uh, it's in your, uh, right, uh, field of vision. Mm. 
It's your right eye connected to your left hemisphere, which is, anyways, so there's, oh, there's wow. which is oh. like the, the kind of more like creative, like interesting and like seeing patterns yeah, or something. Right. Or it's right. the right brain. Oh, okay. Oh, the, the left people, the is left the pattern people. recognition. Like, well, it's specifically of... the one that isolates things, takes them out of context and makes control-based decisions. So if you're getting constant novel stimulus stimulating your left hemisphere, you're much less likely to step back, which you do sometimes. What am I doing looking at the internet like this? That's crazy. The right hemisphere is looking at the whole context and trying putting it. Yeah. Hemisphere just looks at its prey. Just looks at its prey. Something to control, to go after, to conceptualize. Uh, So there's reasons for all that is not interdates. Even if you don't have ads, uh, they're still, they still want you on site. So it's built into the framework of how it's, you're interfacing with it. You'll always get the most next desirable video Mm. and they'll know when you're mousing away to leave and they'll give you something that's even weirder than you lower base of the brain stone, based on something you looked at once. Probably it's the ads on other sites. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's intense. So that's, so we kind of got off to the races here. I got to go in a few minutes. Yeah, no, dude, this is, this is so cool, man. It's, it's cool to just sit here and listen to you rail it off, dude. Like, is this, I mean, <laughs> this is, you know, for me, this is just like, it's an honor to talk with you, man. Like it's, I'm a big fan of what you do. And uh, it's, I mean, you know, you guys with the Consilience Project and stuff. And, you know, I found out about you through like Jim Rudd and Daniel Schmottenberger and like through the um, Rebel Wisdom podcast and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, I've been just like really trying to, you know, get as much information from that group as I, as I can to understand this because this shit is crazy right now. And, like, you know, I try to pass it off to the homies, but, you know, people are like, what the fuck is... <laughs> I'm like, I swear, you yeah. just got to get in like at least like 10 hours with these guys and you'll start to get get an understanding, but it's worth it. Please listen, but yeah, I don't know, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, it's humbling to have the conversation and we need artists, man. Like the, the antidote to propaganda is actually, not, it's not concepts and memes. It's actually uh, art. And it's, yeah, that's recapturing, it's recapturing, uh, the attention system and like healing the attention system through, through art. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So. Hopefully, you know, but you guys really inspire me and my art and it's, uh, it's, it's really cool to talk with you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Blessing on your guy. Amen. So seriously, keep it posted up and where it goes, I'd be happy to jump back on another conversation. Yeah, man. I'd love, I'd love to talk to you again in the future if you're free and just keep learning. Cool. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. Cool, man. Thank you so much, dude. Later. Wow. Wow. That was, that was a ride. Yeah. You got your notes? (laughs) You got a novel. I got a note. I mean, I've got an album, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's good. He kind of stayed on one area. I mean, he he covers a lot of other things. So it's good. I think it's good that we had an episode on one thing of this propaganda because yeah, he's such a, such a deep pool now we could have gone on to other many other topics but then we just skimmed the surface so it's good it's good we went deep 
it was i mean that was cool too because i've i've heard like he's kind of discussing things with musk and things like that and like this kind of you know this idea of where things could go um, yeah with the technological you know techno feudalism or whatever it's like that's very interesting thing that i haven't heard i've heard people touch on it but not a lot of people like kind of connect the dots like he did there and that's that's interesting well he's a student consider. he's a student of history isn't he so he knows yeah i mean at least india company and things like that. obviously it's a completely different um war uh terrain now you know yeah online and everything but it's the same principles of power at play i'm sure yeah you can see history repeats itself or history rhymes as they say yeah 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 no that was uh that was wild that was cool okay well thanks for setting that up man that was that's like for me that's like real special you know so i really appreciate it my pleasure well it's going to be i really hope it's a great song yeah 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 i know i'm I'm now like you were saying i'm like stoked i'm like yeah let's let's get on it (laughs) you know art is the antidote he really he picked us up there no hell yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. All right, cool. All right, I got I got some concepts going now too. So. All right, man. Yeah, yeah. Get cooking. This is cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I might I might get on it today. Shit. All right, do it while the while the stove's hot. All right. <laughs> cool. And well, um, yeah. Did you want to go over anything else or no? Just, let's how, just. How do you guys? Yeah, send me some ideas, and then uh, if I can put something on top of your, uh, then I will do. Uh, cool. Read, Sweet. Read Hey, what you come up with? Yeah, sweet. Well, I'll I'll get something to you in in the week, and uh, we'll go from there. All right. Awesome, man. Well, th- okay, Jack, uh, thank you so much, man. My pleasure. You did All a right, great job. You really, uh, yeah, really. Thank so, you, man. It wasn't. I was worried it was going to be some super intellectual, but it. I re- I was really hooked there. I really enjoyed it. Dude, I was hanging on those every word. I was yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I was like, damn, he's got to go. Shit, I got three more hours. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Well, I'm glad. I really need the bathroom, so really. Yeah, it's perfect timing. Awesome, All right, man. mate. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll be in touch with you soon. Okay, buddy. All right, dude. Thank you. Bye, all. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.